Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. Welcome back. Um, today is Thursday, August 12th, and we are so happy to be with you. Um, we're going to start our time together in prayer. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Oh, Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. We thank you for revealing your word to us through Moses and for preserving this ancient book for thousands of years for us. Please open our minds to understand the scriptures, especially all that is written by the prophets concerning Jesus Christ. May we always love your word and seek the truth. May we always be careful to study your word and obey your law. So we are in for a treat today. Um, Mine and Mary Balfour's good friend, the rector of St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Greenville, South Carolina, in my, I guess, former diocese. I've been gone for a month now. He was actually on sabbatical when I left, so I actually haven't seen him in a good while. So it's good to be with him, the Reverend Furman Buchanan. Thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to be with you all today. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. We talked a little bit before. Um, Furman may get the award for the most prepared guest, mainly because we most of our guests beforehand have been like Dorian and, and Knuckleheads. Jimmy. We, we, Jimmy. Jimmy and Dorian. Now we actually have someone who comes prepared. And so this will be, you're going to blow Dorian and Jimmy out of the water. No, 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 no. <laughs> So what are we talking about today? We're talking about the first three chapters of Deuteronomy. Um, So last week, the Reverend Alexis Carter Thomas joined us and gave us sort of an overarching view. And um, Furman's going to do that a little bit as well with um, sort of his thoughts on it and then dive into one through three. So Furman, thanks again for being here. So thrilled you're here. Um, Tell us what your thoughts are about uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Well, thank you. I, I hope this does not uh, uh, overlap or become redundant with anything from last week. I, you know, I like to start with just thinking about what is the book, what is the book about in general? And and the name gives us the hint there. I, I sort of maintain that most people are, know a lot more Greek than they realize. It just kind of masquerades in other words. But Deuteronomy, it tells us what it is. It means second law or, you know, copy of the law or modern parlance version 2.0 do as induce uh, two or second and nami or namos law you know so this is uh the way i sort of think about this is um when, when you when you're going to get onto the interstate you need an on-ramp and so for me deuteronomy is moses provision of an on-ramp for the people of israel as they prepare to enter this promised land that they've been that they've heard about um well, what, what, what does Moses do but begin this uh, with this introductory section of four chapters? We're going to focus on three, but um, uh, he, he's going to look back as he's sitting there east of the Jordan, which is in you know, modern day, the kingdom of Jordan. Um, and, and he's sitting there looking back over the span of, what, 40 years after the first law was given 
down at Mount Sinai. You know, Sinai, Mount Sinai is much further to the south after they, you know, burst out of slavery in Egypt. Also, in, in this book, it gets referred to as Mount Horeb. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the writers and editors of the scriptures do this to keep us on our toes. They keep changing names on us and things. But, you know, we know that Horeb uh, name because wasn't that was an electionary what last Sunday? Because Elijah is, starts out in the very far north uh, of, of Israel and, and he's running away from Queen Jezebel. But at some point it turns into more than just running away. He starts running toward Mount Sinai, which is, you know, according to the uh, the story from last week, you know, 40 days walk for him. So it's so we've come a long way. Moses has come a long way. The, the people have come a long way. And the message of God at this point, as we open up in chapter one, is very simple. Go, you know, go forward. It, it, it's time to move on. Think again about that interstate on ramp. It, it, it's a preparation for the next chapter. You see, these people have received two gifts, um, that, at least two gifts that are conspicuous. One was the promise to the to the patriarchs, to the ancestors that your people will receive a land. Uh, and now we're at that pivot where they are on the cusp of inheriting this land. So it, it links up their past uh, of their ancestors and it and it unfolds their future, you know, as a place to to live and prosper and share. Herman. I love that. I want to talk about the on ramp just a minute too, because like I always am thinking how to, how can we like relate this to our everyday life? But also when you're talking about that, like the on ramp is sort of like a safety thing too. Right. And so it's almost like to look at your past is important as a safety picture, right. To, to see how did I do that? Well, what do I need to do different in the future? And I love that imagery that Moses was trying to give the gift of that. And I was telling Herman and Alan before we started, I'm reading this children's commentary of Deuteronomy, which is like my favorite new thing that I've ever um, been involved in. But it says that Moses repeated and reminded the people of their bondage in Egypt over 46 times in the book of Deuteronomy. 46 times. That's a lot of times of going, remember where you came from before. This is what this on-ramp is about. These 46 times, right? I want you to know what your past was so that we can in a healthy way, go to our future. Is that right? right? No, I think that's right. I mean, you know, not to push my metaphor too hard, but you know, you better look in your. Push it. I love it. You, you better look in your side view mirror and see see what's behind you, sure. right? To sure. to take stock. Ultimately, you have to look forward. Ultimately, you have to pay attention to where you're going. But but it's a both and. It is not either or. It, it always involves a, a a recognizing and a remembering, which is a biblical virtue, uh, a remembering of of what was before. And uh, and he does that. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I think he starts to reminisce uh, uh, around verse nine of chapter one. He says, you know, 40 years ago, I said, look, God, I can't carry uh, these people. And, and, and he said it to the people. I can't carry you by myself. You're as, as numerous as the stars of heaven. And so he did the kind of the obvious thing. He, he appointed 
wise and discerning and reputable uh, leaders to to settle all the disputes, you know, that that were were bubbling up. Um, And, you know, in in the sense of uh, leadership, Moses was was just brilliant in the simplicity of it. And yet very cutting edge. He's like, look, just give the people a fair hearing and then judge rightly. Uh, don't don't be biased. In fact, and I think this is radical. This would be radical even today, not just uh, 3000 plus years ago. He says, don't be partial. Don't even be partial to the Jewish citizen over and against the alien. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Imagine that a part, a lack of partiality that, that creates an even playing field uh, even for the alien. And, um, and he says, look, don't be intimidated by this project. It's just God's judgment that you're passing along. And when you get the case that's too tough for you, bump it up to me and I'll, and I'll get involved. And that, that was Moses's you know, model for, for leadership back in the, in the beginning, 40 years ago. Um, well, when we get to verse 19 in chapter one, the people of Israel are, are, are refusing to, to enter the land. You know, they're, they're scared again. <laughs> and that's normal. We, we live in this same uh, kind of experience of being fearful about the future and what it might represent. They, they have particular reasons for their fear. They think these Amorites are, are going to, you know, have their way uh, with them. And, um, and so Moses sends along, you know, 12, uh, what, scouts, maybe one from each tribe. And they go on up into the land of the Amorites and scout it out and say, wow, that that looks pretty good. Um, but the people, the population would not follow. They they rebelled. They grumbled. Um, God hates us. You know, we're afraid of those big, bad Amorites. And Moses is like, here it goes again with the on ramp, Mary Balfour. Look in your rearview mirror. Remember how God saved you from the Egyptians? And then he doesn't stop there. He says, look in your rearview mirror. Mirror, remember how God saved you in the wilderness with the provision of the, the manna and the turtle doves and so on. And then you can almost see Moses throwing his hands up in there. And he just says, despite all that, y'all still can't trust. Uh, no, and this is unfortunately not the first time we've experienced this, right? Right. Alan, how many times have we talked about this grumbling and, you know, all that? Yeah, it's. And what occurs to me is we do that every week, right? We, when we preach, maybe certainly when we confess corporately and are reminded of our forgiveness. And every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we start that by saying, here's what God has done. We tell the story of salvation because I, even as a priest, maybe especially as a priest need to be remembered of that. And so we, we haven't talked about that, Mary Balfour, and all the times we've talked about how many times Moses had to tell the Israelites, y'all are forgetting what God has done. It's just now that it clicks with me. I have to remind myself of that every week. Yeah. So that 46 times is like no big deal. We do it. We do it 52 times a year. Right. What a great connection. Um, and I think that is just unbelievably true. I mean, what do they say? It takes like seven times for something to, you know, it takes us Episcopalians 52 times a year, apparently, and, and longer or um, any, anybody to be re- remember um, where God is in all of this. You know? Right. I want to right. go back to Furman. You kind of glanced over it. Um, 
maybe because you don't want to be too edgy, I think is a word you used when we were prepping. Okay. You talked right. about impartiality. I think that's pretty important because we saw this in Leviticus, um, that there was provision set up for, for folks who aren't part of the tribe. So God, from the beginning, was setting it up so that there is, there are some distinctives, right? And the people of God are, mm-hmm. great, but, but that there is provision made for folks who aren't that. And I think it's essential because I also think folks who subscribe to various kinds of nationalism, they look to the Old Testament for support. Right. Well, I, don't look at Deuteronomy, okay? Yeah, it, I think it, it's it, important. It's going to smack point. you. Deuteronomy is going to smack you in the face because you'll be challenged by a God who says you are called to be generous, 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 generous to the stranger. Open wide your hand, he'll say later in Deuteronomy. Do not be so tight fisted. And that and that's a direct translation. Right. And so it's a. Yeah, Deuteronomy is the book you probably want to skip if, if you want to keep all the goodies for yourself and your it, own people, it, right? The law. I mean, that's what Deuteronomy is, is you know? Right. So, I mean, I think I think it is such a, a good book for us when we really want to check ourselves, right? Right. You know, for us to go in and dive in because it's all here and it is not sugar-coated in any no, way. No, that's right. It's going to be challenging. Yeah. And, uh, and that, and that's okay. Life is challenging. Uh, but, uh, um, Keep going, Furman. are we in cha- uh, chapter two yet? Uh, okay. Well, not quite, but, but, oh, okay. um, I mean, I can skip ahead. There is, there is this, there is in, in verse 34 was kind of the next place. I, I put a little, uh, a tent marker, you know, I think, um, Moses has got some frustration that he's, working with he said god heard you know y'all you're grumbling and complaining that you wouldn't go forward and god said i swear these people will not go into this new good land and moses even adds look even i am being deprived of going to the good land because of all you people um and so you hear some you know you hear some natural frustration a leader might might feel and express toward toward people but he says you know joshua's going to get in joshua's going to lead that next chapter in, in our in our national life and um and, and by the way Caleb is going to get in and you, you know and your children are going to get in but you are not and um it will immediately it seems like there toward the end of the chapter the people feel remorseful they say oh god we're sorry you know we sinned we'll we'll go up and fight those Amorites now we're not scared anymore and God said no don't do it don't do it you're wasting your time I'm not going to be part of that uh and you'll lose and um and then Moses adds his commentary and says, well, of course you did it anyway. And the Amorites chased you like a swarm of bees. And I love that line because it's so, it's so frightening and vivid. Um, and he says, so you came back and you cried about it. And God said, I'm not going to listen to your tantrum. Uh, so that, that for me kind of winds up chapter, chapter one. But, but do you see it's that push, pull, yeah. frustration, you say yes, and then you say no, and you, you know all, all of that kind of thing. Um, that doesn't feel surprising either, because it feels like we've been in with that. That is a theme of the Old Testament. That push right, right, that. right. I think it's uh, that that feels very organic to me in in contemporary life. Yeah. You know, um, uh, push and pull, and hot and cold, and. Uh, and, and it's part of, I mean, let's, let's just go back and think about the name Israel, right? 
one who struggles with God or wrestles with God. And that's the identity. Uh, and, and let's face it, it was God who bestowed the identity, right? Uh, I mean, the guy's name used to be Jacob, and uh, which is a perfectly serviceable name. But, but no, Israel, one who struggles with. And, um, and, and so I think that's an important thing to, you, you know, kind of bear in mind. Sorry. I said it is. I actually hadn't thought about that in a long time. Like yeah, what oh, yeah. the word Israelites mean and who we, who, how that identifies them as people. Yeah. In wrestlers. Is right. really part of it. Or right. in the South, wrestlers. Yeah. Wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we're going to go to the desert years in chapter the, two. Chapter two recounts the desert years and, and so, you know, God says, look, now don't be fighting Esau's people down there, those descendants. Just go down there and buy food and water uh, because I swore that land to them. And, and, and God says, by the way, don't, don't mess with the Moabites. You know, that belongs to, to Lot's descendants. You remember from Abraham, all those, the stories about Lot. That's, that's their land. Don't, don't mess with them. And, um, and then Moses sort of recounts, you know, 38 years passed, and so did that generation, mm-hmm. you know, and so just as we heard in chapter one, th- those weren't the people, that was not the generation that was going to, to walk over uh, the Jordan and, and, um, and cross over, but Moses is still alive, and, um, and, uh, and so God says, go ahead now and fight uh, uh, King Sihon, uh, or the Amorite people, and, um, and what we discover as we get down into verse 26 of chapter two is Moses sends a messenger up to Sihon and he wants to do this thing peaceably at first. He, he goes up with terms of peace. He says, look, just let us pass through your land. We're not going to mess with you. We're not even going to look to the right or to the left and be tempted by, by, by any of those uh, uh, nice uh, olive groves or anything else you might have. We're going to stay focused. We want to pass through. We want to buy water and buy food from you. That's it. And um, and guess what? Sihon refused. King King, King uh, Sihon refused. I hate this part, but, you know, it says this. And, and so let's wrestle with it for a minute. You know, it says God hardened his heart. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that hardly seems fair. You know, if it is God's own doing that your heart is hardened, then how fair is it to reap the consequences of that? But, you know, this is all part of the, these first five books. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right. And and I, I'll just be a little bit edgy and say I, I don't fully subscribe to that. Um, but what I do subscribe to is the deep, deep awe and respect that the writers of these books had for God's deep, intimate, direct involvement in in the life of the world. And what that meant was, if you think in those terms, then you quite naturally make draw the conclusion that God does everything, mm-hmm. including hardening the bad guys' hearts. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think a little bit of that gets projected. Um, uh, that's my personal view, and I, I'm not trying to drag anybody else along with that. But I find it easier to think that way than to think. I think that's a wonderful way to think about it, honestly, because we don't want to think about somebody's heart hardening, you know, but if you, um, if you really think about the respect that the writers were trying to um, convey here and not make it about them, right. But making about what really happened. Right. Right. And so, you know, but, but I can't live, live with the idea of God as a puppeteer 
right. Me. Who, who, you know, chooses to, to harden some people's hearts and, and destroy them forever. Um, it just doesn't seem like a fair, a fair way to do business. Yeah. So, um, but whatever happened, Sihon did have a hard heart. He would not uh, accept Moses's terms. And, um, and so God said, uh, I'm going to give Sihon and his land to you. Go for it. And it was an absolute shutout. You know, I mean, the people of Israel just had their way. And, um, and Moses said, we took all that land as far as Gilead, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's a little bit of what happens in chapter two. Yeah. In chapter three, go I'm ahead. Gonna, I'm going to stop you. Alan, you wanted to say something about the hardening of the hearts. I could tell. No, oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to talk about God's work and, and how kind of these ancient Hebrew writers perceive that maybe. Because you look at, like you mentioned, the spies, right? And we first get the story in numbers about the spies going out. And that telling of the story, God sent the spies. In the Deuteronomy telling of the story, the people asked the spies to go. And so even there, there's, they're wrestling with, is God doing it? Are we doing it? How do we, how do we know when we feel compelled to do something, if that's God or if it's us? And I think I wrestle with that. But if we think all work is God's work, then there has to be a role for God, but there also has to be a role for us. And we have to take responsibility. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that, uh, you, you know, the Bible does speak in stereo about this, uh, and, and some books and some writers and perspectives, uh, tend to put the accent mark on the importance of human a- action. And then other writers and editors and perspectives tend to put the emphasis on God's, uh, sovereign actions and and the people are not their 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 role is really not important let's face it let's let's bring it all back to current day again uh i think it's easy for us and our listeners to this podcast to to easily fall too far off either side of that wagon Mm -hmm. if we make it all about us to the exclusion of god's uh deep love and care for the world then then we're probably gonna gonna run off the road likewise if if we make it all about God, then I don't have to worry about I don't have to do anything because, you know, it's it's uh, it's all God's doing anyway. And got to find that balance. Yeah, we, we, we're going to have to we're going to have to incorporate both of those ideas, in, mm-hmm. I think, in a faithful life. I, 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 and, and I think that if we take a step back and look at this Bible more holistically, we're going to see that the Bible, in fact, does represent both views. And so it really is a both and it is not an either or uh, kind of a, um, a binary choice. Yeah. So, well, my timer just went off, which means we have about five minutes left. So do you think we can just get the gist of chapter three? Let's get the gist of it. Okay. Here's what I'd say. The defeat of King Og of the Moabites basically unfolds very similarly to, to the way we just talked about King Sihon. Okay. The Lord said to the people, don't be afraid. You've got this. And it was so. <laughs> and they, they, they uh, uh, did all that and, and, and took over uh, uh, there. Now, um, then Moses toward the end. So we're going to skip on down toward the end. Moses here at the end uh, wants to have a little word with the Lord and to say, you know, I prayed, Lord, um, you know, 
only you could have done all this, made all this possible for our people. Please, 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 let me just tiptoe across that Jordan and get over there and look around and, and just take it all in. And, and, and God said, nope, nope, I already told you, you're not going. And, um, and, but he said, you can stand on this mountain, uh, Pisgah, and you can look to the, to the west and the north and the south and the east. You can look all around you. Um, but, but don't bring that subject back up again. <laughs> and, um, and so it was that Moses got to look out, uh, from Pisgah. We, we don't know exactly where Mount Pisgah is, but, but I'll say this it, kind of trying to wind it down. Uh, several years ago, I had the great privilege to, to take a group from St. Peter's to the Holy land. And we, we traveled throughout, um, uh, Israel, but we also took a, uh, a journey to the kingdom of Jordan and visited several places there. And, and we got to stand on Mount Nebo, which, you, you know, may be Mount Pisgah, but in any event, it would be the same mountain range. It, Nebo is 2,300 feet above sea level, you, you know, but think about it this way. It's looking out over the Dead Sea, which is 1,400 feet below sea level. And so the, the view is, is almost 5,000 feet differential there, but, um, and, and you look out and, there, and there's a chapel built up there uh, um, and, and, and out front is a sculpture, of, I believe it was an Italian artist, sculpted a bronze serpent. And, and, and I think about that because, you know, I'm, y'all have already talked about how Moses held up the bronze serpent as a way to, to give the people life and health and healing. And of course, it's it's all about what Jesus says, you know, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so I will be lifted up as the source of of healing and transformation and life for, for you. And um, so there's a sculpture right out in front and, and you can stand there under the shadow of this um, modern but beautiful sculpture and, and just look over to the West and just think about think about Moses and think about those people who longed to 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 have to finally inherit the land. Um, and, um, and, and it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful and peaceful place to, to be able to stand. It's, it's one of the memories that, you know, that I, one of the strong memories I, I, I carry, carry forward. And, um, and, and the fact that we do pass on the baton, I mean, Moses passes it on to Joshua and says, all right, go, you, you know, it's your job to do, to do this next. And, um, and all, but, uh, yeah, so maybe, maybe uh, I'll I'll pause there and 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 see if that if that is a wrap. Uh, that was awesome, Furman. Thank you so much. I felt like I was just in one of your Bible study classes, learning from you, and that was amazing. Alan, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, that idea of passing on the baton. Number one, the Olympics just wrapped up, <laughs> um, but I think we who as clergy leaders, other folks who help lead and guide congregations, lay leaders and all that, this is instructive to us that we aren't building something for us to enjoy. We are building something to endure, right? And that's what I take from this is Moses is coming to the realization that all of this effort is going to be for someone else to walk through the gates. Mm -hmm. And I think that's our role as, as leaders of, faith communities yeah. all ministry is interim ministry that's right and and yeah. beautiful thing i mean yeah even though it feels hard sometimes even though you know poor moses didn't get to the finish line 
it's still such a beautiful gift. And what an example Moses is for those of us that are in leadership when it's time for us to go do something else and let a new person come in. Um, I learned a ton today. Furman, I'm so, so grateful for your time. Um, We love you, both Alan and I do very much. And listeners, we love you, but most importantly, God does. 